Terry Kerr McAvoy, welcome to the Live Treasured podcast and the Treasured Ministries YouTube channel. Um, I am so grateful that you are here with us today. Thank you so much. I'm excited about it too. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. I just started it in April and it's actually coming out of the TikTok live. So about a year and a half ago, I started on TikTok, sort of trying to stumble around as getting ready to publish a book and wanted to build a platform and get a little mm -hmm. more diverse. And I, I found that people love the lives. They love being able to talk about issues. And, and I right. realized that what I was struggling with, <clears throat> that what my book was about was, I thought at first it was about a trauma bond and I knew I'd been in an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. And then I, I kind of fell backwards into this area, this niche of narcissistic abuse and realized that perfectly captured what had happened to me and that that's what wow. my book was about. And as I started to speak about it, I realized that there's massive community. And now I know that we're, there's estimates of 600 to 100 million people in the United States alone who are coming out an abusive experience, whether children or, or partners that there is this need, this intense need, and, and the lives were so rich that I decided to repurpose them into a podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about your story, your journey, and kind of what brought you to this place? Right. Well, I grew up on a dairy farm in Michigan. I was the oldest of three girls, grew up in a very conservative evangelical home. I've loved God my entire life. He's been my best friend from as, as a little girl. I even have pictures of me praying out on the doghouse in the morning. I'd sit up on top of the roof and look out at the whole world and talk to God. So I felt very close to him that way. Got married young, got married right out of college. Uh, we had three lovely boys. We had a, a decent marriage. And then in 2014, right after Christmas, and as I was publishing my third devotional, which I've since named the change, or I've changed the name. I used to call it um, um, Pain as a Starting Point was mm -hmm. the name of the title. It's now called Never Forgotten. Mm -hmm. um, but as I was wrapping it up and launching it, I, we were found out that my husband was diagnosed with duodenal cancer, which is small mm -hmm. intestinal cancer. It's uh, rare, no known treatment for it. They did surgery, the surgery failed, and he was gone five and a half months later. So here was a strapping 51, 52 year old man who literally almost like overnight went from healthy to gone. Wow. And with that, my entire life exploded. My whole, mm -hmm. I mean, I was an empty nester. I closed my practice because this care was too intense. Um, my life was blown apart and my faith went into this massive dark struggle. So mm -hmm. in that struggle, I then, you know, sort of struggled with God too about what was happening and his goodness and where was he and how could this happen to me? And I started dating really rapidly and I met somebody that I thought was like the most amazing person. It seemed to tick all the boxes. And it wasn't until we got married two months into it that I found that he was living a second secret double life. Wow. That I basically didn't know anything about him at all. And for we stumbled around for two years trying to save the relationship while he was actually um, sabotaging it behind my back. I wasn't aware that, there, that the secret life never stopped. It just got more sophisticated. Mm. So it all, all sort of came crashing to, into bits just as my oldest son was diagnosed with leukemia, believe it or not. Oh, I, wow. I know yeah. I had cancer wow. hit a second time which actually was a was a God moving and opening some doors for me, as awful as that sounds. 
And I started the healing process, started writing. And in this writing, that's when I began to put the pieces together, which is the ironic part because I'm a clinical psychologist. So mm -hmm. why didn't I know any of this? How come mm -hmm. I'm not aware that I was in an abusive relationship? And how come there wasn't more help for me? How, why do so many people who go to therapy end up feeling blamed for what's going wrong? And it happened yes. to me. I know I fired two therapists. Yes. I fired that, two of them. <laughs> that is so true. I mm -hmm. hear this a lot. Okay. Thank you for saying that. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, that's all right. Mm -hmm. So here I'm trying to like make sense. I'm writing this book. It's my way of making sense. And then that's when I discovered, yeah, I knew he was a narcissist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I knew that, but I had never heard what narcissistic abuse was or relational harm. Mm -hmm. like that and and then that just opened up this whole like like i literally felt like i was given new eyes i suddenly could mm -hmm. see things that i had never seen before mm -hmm. uh motives and intentions made more sense the confusion and the trappedness that i felt in that relationship started to uh, you know it made sense why i was so paralyzed and and right. that's where i am today is that i now feel this is where i am today i feel such a burning passion about mm -hmm. helping abused people get out of toxic relationships that it feels like a fire inside i just feel lit mm. up about it because i i i feel like we're people stuck in these relationships are prisoners yeah and they have no sometimes they have no idea that they're in a form of a prison but i feel right. god's heart is so enraged over this and is so passionate about our wholeness and wellness Yes, yeah. we'll be made well in heaven, but I believe he wants us well today. I want, I believe he wants to be loving, living well with integrity with each other today. And, and he's very, very concerned about that. So that's, Amen. that's where I've been at is working on this and, and trying to help people by increasing awareness. And I love that, you know, that it's, it's been, you know, a journey for you and that now you're reaching back and, and helping others. Um, and let's, let's talk about the, the victim, um, that what can you give just a profile of who would normally get maybe attached inside of a, a narcissistic, um, relationship? Right. Right. Well, there's a lot of myths. I want to start right there. There's okay. myths. So probably most of what you've been hearing is actually not based in research. The most accurate up-to-date information is being done by Sandra L. Brown out of, she's done some work out of Purdue University. She okay. has an Institute for Relational Harm. She's been working with psychopathic, narcissistic population for most of her career. She's a social worker. Okay. In fact, I'm, go I'm going to be interviewing her on November 10th. Okay. The evening of November 10th is open to anyone who's interested. They can get tickets to that and listen to her describe working with this population as well as working mm -hmm. with victims and working with helping victims become uh, safer, understand mm -hmm. the way that they've been profiled and help to protect themselves better from this group of people. So here, here's the problem I think we all have. We've been given this belief that the world is well-intended. Hmm. Yes, there are well-intended people in the world, but mm -hmm. there's also those who are not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, but, but have we trained our children, ourselves, to differentiate between well-intended and bad-intended people? Right. right. I, I know I wasn't, and I grew up in a home with, with predators in it. It wasn't a very safe home. Mm -hmm. But yet, despite that, I was still instructed to believe in the goodness of other people. Right. 
And right. as a result of that, then I misunderstood and misinterpreted their moves and motives towards me. And I didn't see the danger because right. I assumed good things about them instead of assuming that there might be other reasons why they would do what they do. So, right. so back to the victim, uh, victims tend not to know that there is not well, there's like, well, not well-intended people in the world, but, mm -hmm. but the current the current profile of the victim is that there she's a code she usually she's mm -hmm. a codependent mm -hmm. people pleasing mm -hmm. woman who's come out of a dysfunctional home mm -hmm. or she's had some form of trauma mm -hmm. and that she's repeating this cycle by meeting a new person because it's familiar okay that's okay that's a myth but that's a myth that's a myth okay okay that, that's a myth. It's perpetuated okay. everywhere. I can even tell you, Cassandra Brown, I got to hear mm -hmm. six hour, hours of her in a seminar training talk mm -hmm. about her research. She found, she did some digging and she found that this myth came out of domestic violence observations of the victims they were seeing. So it was anecdotal material and mm -hmm. it was assumed to be foundational and true about all victims without mm -hmm. ever asking. Okay, so unpack that a little more. So yes, so what, it, go so ahead. So in other words, there when we see, when you see a population, you have to know is this a representative population or is it a unusual? Is it a subgroup of the population? So okay. people who go into domestic violence shelters would be a subgroup. Okay. I would not say that I could go pull randomly off the street. 100 women and they would match up with 100 women going into a domestic violence shelter they would be two very different groups of people okay do you okay. see what i'm saying they're yes. a subset of the population but okay. what happened is they took that subset made mm -hmm. some assumptions about them and applied it to all people okay okay so and, that's it's not all victims yes. like there might be some victims that are codependents and have come out of abusive homes but yes. that's not everybody and i can even tell you the stats 37 percent okay. of the women are that subgroup okay so of okay. every woman who gets into a, an emotionally abusive situation 37 percent looks like that okay okay which is a low um percentage i mean yeah. i would have thought it would have been it would have been um much higher um right me too it's like one third so then is there are there more common characteristics of people who get okay so what are yes. there so what she found was okay she so how she did this she took she took 600 couples pathological mm -hmm. relationships gave mm -hmm. them uh, the ace which is a it, it measures for childhood trauma gave them the ace took a detailed history of their childhood home mm -hmm. and and their trauma history and then she gave them a personality test called the mm -hmm. big five personality test which by the way you and i could go take it's there's mm -hmm. open source access to it so if you're curious you can do, go do that okay what she found was overwhelming number of people 63 percent mm -hmm. had no significant trauma did not come from a childhood traumatic home wow and did not have an A score that was significant. None of them, 63% of them did. What they had in common were mm -hmm. two other things. Mm -hmm. They were high, listed high on that, on that um, big five test on agreeableness and conscientiousness. Okay. The okay. things that would make you a good job candidate, mm -hmm. a good team player, you work mm -hmm. well with others, you're cooperative, 
-hmm. you believe in cooperation, you're loyal, you're mm -hmm. determined, you're, you, you stick to things, mm -hmm. you, um, all these qualities, you know, you have a personal sense of integrity, mm -hmm. you believe in social justice. This is mm -hmm. what a person who has those two high traits are, mm -hmm. is like. Okay. They tar they're targeting purposefully that group. Okay. Narcissistic narcissists target people yes. who are always agreeable so what, agreeable and then um and then what was the second character conscientious conscientious so when when you're agreeable does that mean that doesn't mean people pleasing that no. means you have a high emotional iq kind of yeah or you yeah. okay mm -hmm. okay and it's okay. hardwired into you it's not it's part of your personality it's not okay. something based people pleasing is a survival mechanism people learn to grow up in a in a home where the emotional context is dangerous or uncomfortable okay so you, you learn to sort of soften your the way that you show up in order to take care of the other people's emotions in the room right right so it's a okay. skill that you learn it's a skill that you learn so, okay but this is hard wiring this is a this is a person who's cooperative i like the word cooperative better they're a cooperative person Okay. So it's kind of like an aptitude that they're mm -hmm. maybe born with that just yes. that, 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 okay. Okay. And then, um, wow. Well, I mean, you've just blown <laughs> me out of the water because I wouldn't have said that. I mean, I've, yeah. you know, I've, I have, um, been a codependent and, um, and so I always thought, okay, this is why I got into that narcissistic situation, um, in, in my own life. But so then, so then what does that tell us that 60% are this way, only 37% um, come from that people pleasing uh, um, trauma in the past? What does that tell us? Yeah, well, it makes sense. So when, by the way, the oppositeness of, let's, let's define the opposite because I think it's really important. What's the opposite of agreeableness is antagonism. Mm -hmm. It's high, mm -hmm. high conflict. It's mm -hmm. won't go with the group. Mm -hmm. who's the, always the standout the rebel that's the mm -hmm. end that's the opposite of agreeable and the opposite of conscientiousness is a person who has no moral code they mm -hmm. live by what works in the moment and seeks pleasure and they're impulsive mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they and they and they have no particular loyalty to any code in life okay okay, okay so i think it's really important we paint the opposite because the group that's targeting the conscientious agreeable group is that group Okay. They're, okay. And the reason they're targeting it is because they know that the agreeable conscientious people are going to be easier to dupe and mm -hmm. stay in the dark longer. Mm -hmm. And they're going to stay longer and they're going to try really hard to stick, keep the relationship healthy. Yes. Which and then is what they want. Right. Because, and, and they will even use that to, to their advantage by making the victim feel guilty through gaslighting or whatever, because what the victim doesn't want to feel is, you know, I, I'm a bad person, yes. right? So let me ask you this then, because I feel like that in our culture, women have been taught to be agreeable, right? To like get along, to not do everything. So are more women um, the target of um, narcissistic abuse than, than the other way around? Oh, absolutely. Just partly okay. just because 
because antisocial personality disorder, which is psychopaths, sociopaths, are mm -hmm. pre predominantly men, as well as narcissists, somewhere between 50 to 70% of all narcissists are male. So you already mm -hmm. have that, those two key groups who tend to be more predatory mm -hmm. are more male, which means there's more likely to be women. But mm -hmm. I think also culturally, we're, are, we're, we're raised to be more agreeable. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of um, pressure on us not to be too autonomous mm -hmm. or to be too mm -hmm. in, think to ourselves too independent. So yes, I do think that. And then here's the other reasons. Predatory people tend to go through a lot of relationships. They tend to destroy mm -hmm. them pretty fast. So mm -hmm. they churn through more of them. So you're going to have, mm -hmm. so if it's a male, he's going to have a lot of female victims as a result of that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And does, and let me ask you this, Carrie, um, does the, you know, because I'm thinking about, okay, moral compass, agreeable, you know, um, for me, learning that God wanted me to set boundaries and looking at Jesus with fresh eyes, not the one that I was taught in Sunday school, like, oh, Jesus, love is always saying yes, like learning the difference between that and that Jesus was actually pretty abrupt and he, you know, knew who he was and he, he stood for that and never backed down from it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not what I was taught in Sunday school. I was taught, I feel like I was taught in Sunday school to be agreeable and to get along and, and all of those things. So do you feel like in a sense that perhaps um, the, the church has um, some religious rhetoric that keeps women or that makes women um, easier targets to, and I, to uh, narcissists. And I want to clarify, I'm not saying that this is what God wants, because I like when you start to read the Bible for you and you start to see Abigail and Deborah and Mary of Bethany, who said, Judas, I don't care what you say. I'm going to anoint Jesus with my alabaster. I mean, you start to see everything differently, but that, you know, be kind can translate into be agreeable and that um, wanting to be good and not feeling like I, there's so many women that come to treasure ministries. They want to do right by God. And so, so would that make you a victim to the abuse yeah. as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's what alarms me about the church is I feel like there needs to be an awakening within Amen. our culture, but there needs to be awakening within church. What we do is when it's going wrong and bad, we don't go to the purpose person who's usually the perpetrator of what's going wrong. We go to the compliant person and say, work harder, work yes. harder. It's the wrong message and she's not, or whoever, even if it's a he, they're not accountable for the other person's bad behavior. Yeah, They can't save that person. They can't save what the person's failing to give yeah. or not give to that relationship. In yeah. fact, I heard a really great quote that helped me a lot near the end, and I won't be able to say it properly, but often divorce is a result of a failure that happened a long time ago by the other partner. We're just, yeah. we're just manifesting what's actually has, is what's been done long time. You know, yeah. it's the consequence of what's happened. And I, that yeah. was so helpful for me because I realized the person I married never made a commitment, never made a vow to me ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, he said the words, but he'd spent a night with another woman the night, the night before we married. Okay. He, he walked wow. in, he walked mm -hmm. in already with a, with a framework of this, there's no integrity to this relationship. And yet here I'm the one trying to preserve the vow 
of something there was never been in any commitment to. I didn't right. know that at the time, but right. here I'm striving so hard for something that's non-existent. So, but why is this like this? I, I, to me, I don't really have a good answer except to say that I think Satan is highly sophisticated, way more than yes. we've ever like give him credit for. And he's yes. woven poison in, yes. you know, lies in throughout everywhere, everywhere. Yes. You know, when I heard some of the huge ministries going down because of tremendous sexual sin, abuse, exactly, sexual, oh, broke my heart. That it, broke my heart. It made me so angry. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I feel like what's happened is, what is women's role in God's economy? Mm -hmm. I think that's a big question we need to ask and unpack. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot that we we really need to unpack. But but unfortunately, yeah. this framework that we have right now, has mm -hmm. keeping women quiet and mm -hmm. keeping them in relationships that are destroying their self image. And they yeah. are they are God's you know image bearers, and they're being destroyed. And I think that enrages God's heart. Absolutely. You know, for me, it was it was with a friendship. For me, I felt stupid, like that this had happened to me. You know, how could I be so dumb? Yeah. So you you just feel, I guess, like I felt shame. Like how could I have done this, or how could I have gotten into this situation? Do you? hear that a lot from women. Did you experience oh. that? Oh, tremendous shame. I had yeah. tremendous shame, but it's tied back to our level of conscientiousness. We're, we're people with yeah. integrity. Mate. So, mm -hmm. and that's why we're chosen because we are people with integrity because that causes an internal conflict. We're going to blame ourselves first and not blame the partner or the friend or mm -hmm. the coworker or the boss, mm -hmm. whoever's causing the conflict. Wow. Mm -hmm. They're using, wow. this is what my son said to me when I, I at, when it was all over and I was getting ready to publish the book and I was feeling really uncomfortable about the content because it would, you know, it might love you more is a graphic story of what happened to me. It, mm -hmm. It's a just, and I'm, I, I do not hide what, ha what my part in it. I don't hide what happens with inside of it. And I knew it was going to be uncomfortable for my sons to have this out there. So I had this big conversation and I, and, and plus it cost me financially. It, it, it hurt, it hurt me. And I said, I had this big moment. I said, you must be so ashamed. I am so utterly undone by what happened. And I began to weep in front of their, for in front of them. And they're grown men at the time. And the, the oldest mm -hmm. who was like 30, and by the way, he's recovered from cancer. So he's in remission and we praise God for praise that. But God. he looked at me yeah. and he said, mom, mom, don't feel bad. What happened to you was he used your best parts against you. This is on him. It was never about you. He used your best parts against you. Wow. Which somebody needs isn't to that, that evil? Yeah. That's the that is the epitome of evil is yeah. to see this naivete, this sweetness, this this belief in, in people and then leverage it for deception and exploitation. Wow. Wow. That's what happened to the garden. Eve was naive. Yes. And the serpent right. took it, twisted it, and leveraged it right against her mm -hmm. um wow that's that's very powerful and so um so if you're listening today and you feel you know i'm in this abusive situation or i was and i've lost all this time or this or how could this happen um you know release that yes. um 
and, um, and just move on and know that it was the goodness in you um, that, that he, that he was leveraging against you. And I think too, um, Carrie, cause you know, we know that the Bible tells us in revelation 12, that the enemy has a special hatred for women. And so the very, um, good parts about us, um, that he actually uses, uh, to, to, to go against that is, um, incredibly creepy. You know what I mean? Like, Really? And then I think it plays into, um, okay, I followed all the rules. I did. I went to church. I prayed for, I prayed for a husband. I, you know what I mean? I followed all the rules and, and then this, and then this happens. Right. Um, I want to stop you because there's another yeah. piece that you're missing that is super pivotal. Okay. That yeah. Locks, please. That locks in that you're going to let your mind's going to be blown on this. So the people who have these two traits, agreeable, and by the way, Sandra Brown calls them super traits. She considers okay. them lovely things. The, you know, mm-hmm. what makes what makes us, she says the people who have them are high achieving, high functioning individuals. Mm-hmm. They're, mm-hmm. They're, they're what makes you a good attorney, what makes you a good doctor, makes you really, whatever you're doing, it makes you really good at it because you see, you have a sense of, honor to your job and respect and integrity and you mm-hmm. work well with your team and it's it makes you a, a, a person that's highly sought after mm-hmm. but these two traits are extremely vulnerable to what's called cognitive dissonance 